Are you listening to this on Spotify right now? You should be. On Spotify, you can listen to all your favorite artists and podcasts in one place for free. You don't even need a premium account. Spotify has a huge catalog of podcasts on every topic, including the one you're listening to right now. On Spotify, you can follow your favorite podcasts so you never miss an episode. Premium Spotify users can download episodes to listen to offline, so wherever you are, you can hear me. It'll be like we're on that vacation in the mountains together. And of course, you can easily share what you're listening to with your friends on Instagram. If you haven't done so already, be sure to download the Spotify app and search for Be Reasonable with your moderator, Chris Paul. Or you can browse to find new podcasts in the tab marked Your Library. Oh, and make sure to follow me so you never miss an episode of Be Reasonable. I'm your moderator, Chris Paul. Let's be reasonable. I am joined once again, the first returning champion, uh, Matt Belinsky. Uh, he is a, uh, an attorney and an advisor and investor in uh, entrepreneurial startups. And he is a, uh, a gadfly and pr- provocateur about Los Angeles social media all over uh, it. Uh, uh, guilty is charged, uh, honored that we, we justified a sequel. So, oh, you yes. know, let's make it the Godfather tune, not the Godfather. <laughs> I think that I'm going to have to keep thinking of creative ways to introduce you if we keep doing this. <laughs> Don't worry. We, we will, we'll figure that out. Um, so, uh, is there any coronavirus update in your own personal life before we jump into any of this? Have any of your habits changed? Are you feeling more or less comfortable about your environment? Anything interesting? I think you can't help but notice that people are starting to loosen up a little bit. Yep. Um, and I'm not making a judgment about that. You can just tell. There's more cars on the road. Absolutely. People don't have an inherent suspicion about being near people. Um, generally, it's warmer. There's more operating history mm-hmm. now to see what, what this looks like in our environment. And, I mean, obviously that, I think, gets a little too... That that might be exaggerated in in one direction or another by a lot of people, but mm-hmm. generally people are just naturally going to be a, a little less on edge than they were two weeks ago. Yeah. Because when you're worried that the sky is going to fall, and the longer and longer it goes before this without the sky falling, it, you just naturally, mm-hmm. you know, you you naturally drop. I don't want to say drop your guard. That's probably the wrong terminology, but you ease back into normal habits a little bit more. I think it's probably a little bit of both, though, man. I mean, I think some people are still being really vigilant about staying home. I mean, I haven't been leaving. And again, I talked about this a little bit um, on some other episodes. But, uh, you know, my feeling is that I'm not threatened. I've been basically in my house for six weeks now. I don't have it. I don't go around people. I am totally comfortable with my environment. I have absolutely no concern that uh, I might get it. Um, but I'm still, I'm still complying. You know what I mean? Sure. But But not mentally. Listen, also we are single guys who are live alone, who are in, you know, kind of the digital world and entrepreneurial world. Right. Mm -hmm. I mean, we don't are this to a certain extent, uh, how our lives now aren't that different than our lives before, at least compared to a lot of other people. Well, 
I mean, for me, a little bit, you know, like I still, I still make a, yeah, yeah, yeah. I still make part of my living out and about in Hollywood. So this is really put a, put the kibosh on that. Yeah, no, no, daytime. Yeah, daytime. Yeah, daytime. I just basically have all the uh, free time I ever dreamed about to be able to do things like this and write. So, you know, I looked at it initially as a blessing um, because it got me on track on a few things. But now it's becoming it's getting to the point where I am much more on the side of being threatened by the societal impact. Um, and you know, you could call it the economic impact as well, but you know, that stuff really, really affects people's lives. And that's the part that I'm really worried about. Like how many, how many families will no longer be able to afford sending their kids to college? How many families get removed from their homes or even just normal people who are trying to make it, you know, it's tough. Sure. And I think we were, we were past that inflection point and I think we all knew we, we, that we were going to get there. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we got, we got a month. I mean, we got about a month, maybe five weeks of a period that was one pure shock. Yeah. And then after pure shock wore off pacification, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. And you weren't going to get that forever. Okay. No. Not everyone. Not everyone was going to start protesting and and kind of suspecting that this was some strange plot and wearing a you know sticking a, a tread on, don't tread on me sticker on the mm-hmm. their pickup and and trying to revolt. But event, people were going to start to uh, you know get a little anxious and not uh, and whatever dynamics were keeping them in their house or uh, to a level of acceptance about this, that was going to wear off eventually. And I don't think it's worn off fully or even close to fully, but right. it's worn off a little bit. Yeah. Um, one of the interesting things to me, there was a political, um, a Politico survey last week. And then uh, I just, I think I texted that group text one today. Um, but it's something like 60 plus percent of America has not been I think it was 64 in the new one and it was 76 last week have still not been financially affected by, by this lockdown. And so I think that for those 64 to 70%, whatever, those people, it's really easy to still stay inside and be confused as to why other people are outside. The people who are losing their li- their, uh, livelihoods and incomes, you know, I think that those people have an entirely different justification that, that the rest of us are not necessarily in a position to um, be judgmental about. Uh, because, you know, I was talking the other day, Jonah Goldberg has this great example where he talks about, you know, if your house is on fire and the fire department comes and sprays down the whole house, you don't, uh, you don't say, oh, hey, my house isn't on fire. I guess I didn't need the fire company after all. You know, it's the fire company that did it. And I'm thinking like, okay, I understand that. That totally makes sense. But my thing is that... Um, the analogy is a bit off because this is more like for most people, this is more like the neighbor called the fire department, you know, or you're, you're having, you're calling the fire department because the fire's in your neighbor's house. You know what I mean? You have to worry about someone else. I just explained that terribly. Um, yeah, I don't think it's terribly. I think you're on the right track in that it's not a perfect analogy because you don't know that your, that your house is on fire. Right. Exactly. Regard. But let's say that there was some circumstance in which you had very legitimate reason to believe right. maybe it's like a bomb or something. Sure. Maybe it's that there are six bombs went off in your neighborhood and mm-hmm. someone phoned in a bomb threat to your house mm-hmm. and you acting on reasonable and good information thought, okay, I got to evacuate. And you know, whatever measures were, let's say they had to drill into the, <laughs> it's really getting it down the rabbit hole in this analogy. Let's say they had to, you know, destroy your house to go try to find the bomb. 
and they right. found that there's no bomb. Right. Okay, then you're going to go, you know, something. Then you're kind of left in a bit of a hazier situation thinking, did I need to have my house destroyed to go try to investigate this threat that didn't yeah. necessarily end up a threat? But then if I put my, if I go and stand in the situation, in the shoes that I was in when we made this decision, and this is what I, why I come, come mm-hmm. you know, keep on coming back to, even though we'll, we'll get into my views yeah, on, yeah, yeah, on absolutely. The, the reopening soon. But, uh, if you, if you do go back and put yourself in the shoes that you were in when you made the decision to take the safety measures, I mean, it was pretty reasonable. It was pretty reasonable at the time. Yeah, the, the, the logic justifies the move. I, I agree with that. My concern and my issue with this now is that I don't think that we have received enough information at this point to believe that that was sure, was definitely justified or that it's still justified. And, um, you know, my concern is that if the person warning you about the bomb was potentially the person that, like, planted the bomb there, you'd take it very, very seriously. If the person that was warning you about the bomb was a raving lunatic on the corner, you would have different feelings entirely. And I, you know, I said a couple of times, I said on maybe the last episode of the one before, like there's only one right answer to this situation. And that is balancing perfectly the trade-off between mitigating for health circumstances to make sure the fewest possible people die. And on the other end, being fully open and returning to normal life, normal economy, whatever. So the only, the only, there's a, there's like infinity wrong decisions and one right one. And what, what our goal should be is to get as close to that right one as we possibly can, knowing that it's going to be imperfect. But it's one answer with infinite variables. I think that those variables are reducing, though, the more we learn about it. And again, like I am totally convinced that some buffer was needed just to make sure that for some period, the, the spread as it, you know, webs out and, you know, the r not makes a big, big difference on what that's going to be and what that's going to look like. But once that spread gets stopped at those people and everyone else is now raised to complete consciousness of the thing, that's the point at which I think that we're better off trying to resume life and take the necessary precautions. I think I was reading something yesterday. Maybe you've seen the same thing and you can confirm it or tell me I'm full of shit. But um, I've seen people propose that that masks cut down the possibility of transmission by something like 80%. And I wonder, um, I mean, this is obviously a, a preparation question. We should have been better prepared and we can discuss the reasons why, but, uh, had we taken that move initially, you know, we might've been able to cut out a bunch of this too, without taking down <laughs> our entire system. And well, that's, I mean, that's my real concern. Well, here's one. Ex- okay. I think somewhere where this, some, one example that is a bit clarifying an otherwise muddled situation is the state of Washington and their experience. Because so much of why this is a difficult, why people are, are just screwed up in the head over whether or not we made the right decision is because it's such, it's such polar results. Either you've got New York and New Jersey that are fucking war zones, mm-hmm. or you have California, San Francisco, Los Angeles, you know, and a bunch of, obviously there's a number of states that are, that you now knowing any, anything about this, that yes, you just anticipate we're not going to get hit. Right. And then there are the couple places that broke out. Okay. New Orleans makes sense. It was Mardi Gras. New York, it makes sense. Insanely dense urban mm-hmm. jungle. Right. Mm-hmm. And then all these other places that didn't get hit. You're like, listen, 
Was this something you just didn't have to worry about if you weren't New York? But then you have Washington, okay? Mm -hmm. So Washington does not have the density of New York, sure. okay? Um, it didn't get hit terribly, mm -hmm. but it got hit somewhat bad. Like right. there, like there were some really scary, some certain very scary things happening. I think it was King County and in in and around Seattle and Washington, and that informed a lot of the decision of California to lock down early. So sure. if you're looking at California and you're saying, well, maybe they overdid it. Look at the results. But they, you know, because look, they should have, you should have just looked at the distinctions between California and New York and understood you were going to have a different experience for mm -hmm. California and New Orleans because you didn't have a fucking Mardi Gras. But they had some other big gatherings, right? Right. Um, Washington had, and I mean, maybe this needs to be, I think it does need to be investigated even further. Washington was a situation that had enough similarities to California. Mm -hmm. um, it's not like Florida what was not, California is normally warm, but it wasn't warm two months ago. It wasn't 90 fucking degrees like Florida right. was. Okay. It's relatively spread out. It's not like New York. And you were seeing some troubling, some, some concerning stuff. And so that example kind of blows up to me a lot of arguments that, there was no real rational reason to do to do what we did mm -hmm. because that that was a real problem. Okay, I'm um, not. By the way, I'm not convinced of this theory at all, and it's all premised on a potentially counterfactual situation. But bear with me through the counterfactual, or it's not counterfactual; it's possible factual, I suppose. Um, okay, so so I was. You know, my ears perked up yesterday when, uh, well, first the night before, Axios and some other sources, um, you know, announced that there was a California death on February 6th from a person who had not traveled um, anywhere and uh, tested positive for coronavirus. So considering the time from exposure to the virus till death, which averages in Again, I, I'll check this against what you've been reading. Um, something like uh, three to four to five weeks between when you first get the virus and then I think it's like four to 12 days that symptoms begin. And then after that, you know, 12 day, two week period, if nothing gets serious, sometimes it gets worse after, but usually you're in the clear. But then if you're in one of those really serious cases, you are looking at a three week to five week timeline from exposure to death. So... The fact that it was February 6th that the person was discovered to have died with coronavirus means that the vi they had contracted the virus sometime between um, mid-January and late December, if you're scaling back. And so then I see Newsom announced that he's going to have the state's coroners um, review those review deaths, flu deaths that were marked as flu deaths um, through December. And. To me, that indicates that, you know, in a scarcity of resources situation where time is critically important, I don't believe that they would be investigating that option if they didn't think that there was at least a reasonable probability that there that it was possibly here that early. And then my feeling is that, you know, I'm sure that you have talked to a number of people, too. I mean, people came back from Sundance thinking that they had the worst thing that they've ever had. You know, I have friends in December who were violently ill. I myself was violently ill in November. I have friends that were in China in October and came back and were violently ill. So my my concern is that that this thing existed in our society for quite a while before we knew it or before we named it. And so when someone goes to the hospital 
and they die of the flu, it's not generally, uh, again, check my, check my uh, reasoning here, but I don't think it's common for them to like run an autopsy on that body. I think that they mark it down as flu if they have the flu or pneumonia or whatever. And they certainly weren't testing corona, for coronavirus at that point. So if it was here in December, if, if we find a death in December, then it could have been here at the beginning of November. And if we find a death at the beginning of December, then it could have been here since it was first discovered in Wuhan, which I believe was October 19th of last year. Okay, so I think there's three things that, I mean, listen, I'm not just here to counter that argument. Oh, I no, mean, no, no, like, I want you yeah, to counter it. Right, okay, so the counters are, are this. Uh-huh. Um, one... Even with the ant- even the antibody tests that are suggesting substantial penetration, yep. If this thing spreads like everyone assumes it spreads, and it was here that early, yep. That's still a weird result, right? Like it, Which it should part? be uh, that um, we only something like four percent of of society yep. was exposed, right? Well, if that's a New York it, study right now that you're talking about. And there's also California. California. California, I don't believe, has been testing antibodies, especially not for anti- yeah, uh, asymptomatic yeah, no, no, there, cases. There was two, no, there were two. Yeah, there was there were two studies. One, both of which I think have enormous flaws. Not that I'm an expert at this, but I'm relying yeah. on commentary from uh, input. I've from seen experts. some of that on both sides, and Gavin Newsom yeah. has actually been referring to those two studies in his press conference. So I feel like he has at least some degree of confidence in them. Yeah, I mean, I think he's just hedging so many bets. But who knows? One of the who knows? Stu- who knows? One of the fucking studies is 865 people. They're fucking finding it through Facebook ads or a market research firm. Not that that is fatal, but it's like you're clearly getting some selection bias here. But still, potentially even those, even those studies, right? Mm-hmm. Even those antibody studies are show are suggesting three to four percent right. of LA County. Right. So if it got here in November. And we were spent five months. Right. That's but what? Uh, Four let's and a half months. Late yeah. November. Yeah. So we'll, we'll call it. I'll give you the benefit of the doubt. Sure. Three and a half. All of December, all of January, all of February. Right. Half of March. Mm-hmm. I don't know, man. You're going to see more penetration there, right? Okay. So, he, so well, so, oh, go so ahead. Go one. ahead. Finish. Yeah. So, okay. So that's one. No, let's stop on one and then we'll go to okay. two and three after. Is that cool? Sure. All right. Cool. Yeah, absolutely. So, so my thinking on that, because obviously you're totally right. I mean, I agree with you. Um, Except for this. And again, this is speculation. I, you know, keep saying it because this is, this is a potential insight. This is a way that things might end up if we begin finding new information like that. If the coroners begin finding that there were these COVID deaths back then, then, then this question, first of all, becomes irrelevant because clearly it was here at that point. Would we both agree with that? Like this is a, uh, this sure. is a, yeah, okay. This is a falsifiable claim. Um, so if it came in at that point and it, it, and spread widely through communities that were generally not, or through populations that were generally not, uh, uh, as, as compromised and potentially, you know, the people who are potentially most affected by it. It's entirely possible for it to spread throughout those communities without penetrating the really vulnerable communities. Because what we've seen is pockets like in VAs and, uh, and nursing homes and stuff like that where all it would take is for, you know, everybody outside those environments could have had this and passed through it. You know, maybe a bunch of them got really sick. A few probably went to the hospital and died. They were marked down as flu. And uh, 
it would take until the moment that one of the workers in those environments caught it themselves and then walked in and then exposed this new environment to it. And then it could pass through that environment relatively quickly, threatening every single person in there. So that's, that's my, spe- again, that's my speculation. That's my reasoning. That's my counterpoint to your counterpoint. You know, the odds are still totally on you at this point. And until, until we hear more from Newsom about what the results of that corner, the, the corner study is going to be, um, obviously we know nothing. So go ahead and go do point sure. two unless you want to respond to that. No, 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 it's okay. a totally reasonable. Um, Point two is there could be evidence that it was here earlier than we think, Mm -hmm. but that still does not necessarily – okay. There could have been a luck element that there's some people – okay. Either either the antibody tests are correct Mm -hmm. and it was here early Mm -hmm. or – it was here that, that early, but the antibody tests are not necessarily correct or, or estimating things correctly because the people that had it early were not super spreaders who were like, it could have been amongst a small population that right. you got super lucky. Right. You just happened to be people who didn't fucking work in big office spaces. Right. Okay. And this is legit. Like, this is legit. If someone gets it. And they're the type of they're a fucking writer. Who works at, yeah. If they're if they're Chris Paul, who's not involved in nightlife, you don't see that many people each day. Right. Right. So it could have been you could have gotten a, an early, really slow spread. It, it could have just been pure luck amongst mm-hmm. the habits of the people who got it early that that made uh, Washington that that uh, that bifurcated the experience mm-hmm. in Washington versus California. Right. It could have been purely fucking luck. Okay, cool. So that's okay. Do number three because I don't have anything to say back to that. I think that's, that that's fine. right. That's fine. The thing that I think really blows up the the notion of it being one both here earlier and two quite uh, as uh, as contagious as it would need to be to prove out some of the antibody test theories for both of those things to happen. The thing that I believe blows that up are the is the fact that every hot zone internationally mm-hmm. broke out within those same six weeks. Right. Okay. So yeah. And I think that that's a really compelling point as well. And here is my um, thoughts on that. And this may again, prove to be right, prove to be wrong. We'll see. Um, sure. My thinking is that the virus could have come over here in November and December with minimal spread based on this. The virus obviously came from Wuhan. So to get it over here, somebody would have been somebody would have had to travel from you know Wuhan or another part of China or another part of the world where they got it from someone in Wuhan and then brought it here. Now, mm-hmm. if that person wasn't a super spreader, or if those number of people that would have been positive, you know, if maybe they affected two or three people, they were. And by the way, you can consider the demographics that are traveling the most are, uh, first of all, any Chinese would probably be wearing masks. And so any Westerners traveling to and from there would likely not be. So well, they here, would, here's another ahead. piece. Here's another piece of that is that I think people keep on measuring flights from China instead of measuring flights from Wuhan. Right. Like 80% China's fucking big, man. Oh, sure. Most people, like most people didn't in China and for, and also China shut down internal travel, right? right. From so Wuhan. Yeah, from Wuhan. Yes. Like the, the, your the travel from China, but not early enough. From, by the way, 
What was that? I said, but they didn't shut it down early enough. Fair, fair right. enough. But I, they quarantined Wuhan so aggressively mm-hmm. in a manner that, let's be honest, like right. America just doesn't. Yeah, do. horrible. And so we shouldn't. I, That's it's ridiculous. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, you know, I don't know. We'll dip they, into I think our they were barring people's doors, man. Yeah. <laughs> we'll uh, we'll dip into our totalitarian, you know, instincts another time. Uh-huh, or maybe uh-huh. now. Who knows? Either way. Um, I think that the I think that it, you can't state with assurance or even a likelihood that all this travel from areas in China that are not Wuhan sure were necessarily yeah. were were spreading. I'm totally um, agreeing so with you on that. So you've got that piece right, but I still just I keep on coming back to every. It's not just the U.S. Every region on Earth that got hit hard got hit hard within the same period. How does that then, how can you blow that up? Okay. It's everyone. It's Iran. It's yep. Italy. Yep. It's Spain. Yep. It's the UK. Even Germany to the extent it did. Like yeah. this all, New Orleans, all of these happened six week period, late February to yes. early April. Yes. Okay. So here's, here's, uh, here's what I'm saying. So the Chinese New Year, um, and by the way, you guys can check this article out in Bloomberg. Uh, I just showed it to Matt a few minutes ago. He hasn't had the time to review it, but it's called China Ready's for the world's biggest migration. There were 3 billion trips with a B in uh, in the period where the Chinese return to China to celebrate the Chinese New Year, which this year I believe that period was January 24th to February 16th, I think. And so that timeline maps on to why it would have spread in a massive way worldwide, almost perfectly. And so that's, that's, that's what I think. I think that there was a small number of travelers and spreaders in the fall and winter. And then, um, after the Chinese new year, when the travel back and forth in and out of China was, you know, so there were just so many people doing it. That's when I, I think that this thing became – it's like one little spark flying off of a fire or a million little sparks flying off of a yeah. fire. You know what I mean? Yeah. I mean it's it's just – it's hard then to prove that out when there's – because – Oh, it's you, absolutely the, hard. Yeah. Yeah. It's super difficult and because then you're thinking, well, okay – then how have not more places gotten hit? And then, then there's such direct cor- there's such oddly direct correlation with a couple of places that did specifically Detroit and northern Italy mm-hmm. that you know are known to be travel hubs uh, from China and from Wuhan. Right. Um, so yeah, it's it's kind of it, it, that's a tough that's a tough one. That's it. It's out there as a possibility. We don't need to For linger sure. on it. Um, yeah, good discussion, though, because I'm really interested in seeing how that plays out. And I feel like it will play out relatively soon. Um, Newsom said yesterday he's going to be doing these updates uh, much more regularly now. So I guess noon sure. every day he's going to be on there and he's going to continue to update this information until we have a timeline. Uh, I mean, obviously, the hope is that if it was here that long and we realize immediately that it's been in our culture for four and a half months and nothing major happened, you know, at this point now we've squashed the big spread and the small spread does not seem to be the sort of concern that would uh, lead us to continue the lockdowns. You know, that calls for that calls for active mitigation techniques, I think, but not um, a society wide 
a society-wide sure. switch. And what would be really great is if we actually could get antibody tests on all the people who are asymptomatic. Because right now, you can only participate in the California testing thing if you uh, are showing symptoms. I think that changed. Hold on one second. I just checked it last night because I was thinking about going. Well, here's but, the thing. Uh, if you, okay. If you get... If you if you're showing symptoms, you can get tested for free. Okay, so I oh, think you, you might be able to it? get tested. Mm. Yeah, it's just that you get tested for free, right? Got it. Um, and I mean, I don't know how the hell that. I know <laughs> that some people are selling like hand. knockoff antibody tests and, and stuff like that. Yeah, have I you mean, had I your like that's... rich friends tell you like you can go do it over here kind of thing? Yeah, well, I, I trust the rich friends a little bit more than the not rich friends who are telling me the same thing, right? <laughs> Dude, if the not rich friends are telling you yeah. to you too, it's probably oh, not true. God, I don't even want to get into it. Uh, <laughs> anyone who is kind of a club promoter maybe has does a little bit in CBD and is like, oh no, I got this uh, antibody testing business. Oh, the entrepreneurial spirit, man. Um. Okay, cool. So, uh, oh, but wait, this is the last thing I'm going to say. If it was in our society for four and a half months, then the lockdown actually was a really bad move, I think. And I'm still, uh, I'm on the fence on that one, but I, I just, it, it, I still, yeah, if, if it, okay, if the thesis, if the conclusion is it's super contagious and super not fatal and does not just not fatal, yep. doesn't drive people to the hospital yep. and to ICUs, right? Mm -hmm. If that's, if that's true, uh, it, it, then you just see way high, way higher numbers. And also you can't explain any of the places that did get hit hard. If that's true, then well, I mean, if we review like, you know, travel and stuff, it's potentially possible. I well, mean, we'll like, know that with contact tracing eventually when we find out who had it well, and when. Sure, but, but if, if that's true, then we're at way more than 4%. We're at 30%. I would agree with that. And even New York is only showing even a, some of the most aggressive tests, you know, I think is 20%. Yeah, right? I know. No, no, no. I understand all that. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I'm saying that this is the kind of thing that we will learn in the coming days or weeks. Um, and I think that, by the way, if we start finding coroner deaths in California that were due to COVID in November and December, I mean, it's basically case closed on whether or not it was here. At that point, then we just, we really need to be studying uh how many and testing obviously for this, but how many people do have the antibodies? Um, sure. Okay, so uh, let's go to the let's go to the other two conspiratorial places on this. Right? What is your okay. feeling about the Wuhan lab theory right now? Are you still relatively convinced as I am, I, I, or? I, I, I mean, convinced might not be the word, but I, 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 if you put a gun to my Relatively. head, I think that's what happened. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think it's the strongest likelihood. It's um, amazing to me that the American media is still pushing out these articles nearly every day that are just, you know, repeating uh, CCP propaganda through WHO. They're like, I saw an article this morning. There's absolutely no way the... Uh, the virus came from a Wuhan lab and 12 experts tell us why, tell us why it's impossible. And I'm like, that is not how you find out whether or not it's possible. Yeah. I mean, that you're, you're, not, you're, that's not an bro, investigation. Like, your fucking experts are speculating just like the other experts right. are speculating. Exactly. Okay? And they speculate yeah. absolutely opposite things. So this brings me right into what I've been talking about lately, which is the idea of the theorists. I mean, these experts are theorists. They are practicing yes. speculative theory based yes. on past information. If it's and garbage oh, wait, 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 in, wait, wait, it's one, garbage one out. Other, one other piece of this. Go ahead. They're, ex they're experts that are now 
now commenting on a situation that does not necessarily play to their expertise. Okay, right. They're experts on things that have happened. They're not experts on this because yeah, nobody because yeah. nobody's an expert yet. Yeah, you can't be. And, you know, it's. And by the way, I'm not claiming to know more than them by saying that I that I don't have faith in their expert opinion on whether it could or could not have happened. I mean, they are dealing with their best estimation of the scenarios. And again, I'm not trying to say that they're lying or incompetent, but it's totally possible that they're wrong. And I would sure. much rather have a situation proved in reality and something that we can actually check than mm -hmm. rely on those theories because I think that that's what has, got, what has gotten us here in the first place. I mean, the lockdowns were initiated in the UK and the United States and some of the other European countries by Neil Ferguson's model at the Imperial College. And again, that's just a model that didn't include mitigation but it still matters that it was off by that much, you know, because that that kind of created this uh, cascade of fear running throughout the media, passed down to society. And then it gets, you know, cycled like a uh, like a, a dryer and it's just flopping back on itself the whole time, you know. Okay, so here that's a, that study is a really interesting uh, thing to dissect because it was heavily misinterpreted, but it was misinterpreted justifiably because of the way he laid it out. I read that the first mm -hmm. I read that um, his summary of the study the first time, and I'm like, uh, he he literally spent eighty he spent ninety percent of what he uh, ninety percent of the text was describing an unlikely scenario which wasn't going to happen right and then he spent five percent of the time talking about the scenario that was more likely because he didn't ignore it he didn't say this is going to happen and this isn't right. going to happen he said if we do x if we yes. if we don't uh, if we don't take uh, uh, if we don't social distance and we don't take certain certain steps X is going to happen. Oh, and if we do take, uh, so if we do socially distance and we do take those steps, Y will happen. The way that he described that was comical. He literally spends 15 paragraphs uh, uh, talking about how all the, you know, this is what's going to happen if we operate society normally. You know, here, here's the, the rate, uh, the rate of spread. Here's how it measures up against uh, medical capacity and ICU rates and ventilators and mm. this, that, and whatever. And then he goes, oh, by the way, if we socially distance, that number drops from 2 million to 30,000. Yeah, like, it was fucking comical. Well, like, I, but again, if he's writing his, his academic paper for the people he's advising and for his peers to review, that it, he is writing for an audience. When we then get like the, the media who we quote unquote trust to report these things when they get their hands on it they run the most sensational headline ever which exactly. where 2.2 million Americans could die from this thing and then what choice do we have what choice do we have as citizens what choice do the politicians have that's what I worry about when the media gets it wrong on a massive scale and I'm not saying they have yet that will be proven in the future and we'll find out but if and when they do get it wrong on such a massive scale that presents a legitimate danger to Everyone in the society, because we have no choice but to I mean, we, we have a choice as, a, as individuals to believe it. But, you know, if something gets passed around like that, with that level of fear and a number attached, people are going to respond to it. You saw the first the first kind of more public aggressive commentary that I made on this entire situation was right. in response to to, to Newsom's uh, initial press conference announcing lockdown. Where you know, listen, I I think he's done a better job since. In fact, yes. I think he's done a 
far better job since. Yeah. But you can't fucking say this, man. You can't say our models project we 25 million Californians will be infected. You have to. You can't make a statement like that in such conclusory terms. Yeah. Even if it's justifiable, if you unpack it and you explain what the caveats are, you have to explain what the caveats are. You can't make a. Sta- uh, uh, you cannot make an express black and white statement like that that implies two million, uh, a million to two million people are going to die. That's that, that's going to set off. That's gonna, that's going to spread like wildfire. You're asking for people to freak the fuck out and not in a, not in a. A way that's justified, um, and that is why I was so hard. You know, some people think that I've changed my mind. I was like, no, it's just that I was very aggressively countering what I believe to be media hysteria and the right. misframing of stu- of studies that were throwing out numbers based on no social distancing or light mm. light measures and preventative measures, and then prote- like, we've already taken steps that blow up this model. We've yeah, already done yeah, it. Yeah, exactly. Right? And, yeah. Why are you still referring back to them when we've already we've already in we already have inputs that blow up the model that you're using? It's fucking insane. So the first part of that that I you know, and this part is obviously true, and it's so obviously true that people don't need to keep repeating it. But yes, the some of the models reduced because we took the mitigation steps. Fine. But also these models were premised with the mitigation in mind, like the uh, IHME model was premised with the mitigation in mind. And the fact that the model has gone down and down and down since then means that as new uh, real-world information comes in, the estimates that they had prove themselves to be wrong by three times, four times, five times. That stuff mm-hmm. makes a big difference when, Massive. you know, when the when the planning was done based on these numbers. And yeah. this is kind of my problem with the whole theory thing. Like, we're taking this bad information, and some of the best information is from 100 years ago, where mm-hmm. we certainly didn't have the capacity to record it and study it in the same way. And this sure. stuff has been passed down and studied by people, by brilliant people acting in good faith, Mm-hmm. who are nonetheless wrong. And the reality as it's proving itself out is showing those theories to be wrong. And for the people who are continuing to defend them on any more up further grounds than we are, I think are really missing something, you of know, yeah. like we can't, like it is our public officials, you know, and, and the, when people are like, well, you have to listen to the experts and it's oh, like, no, God. We need to hear the experts and take into account what they're saying. But a societal decision is not the responsibility of experts. Just like no person on on like the left or whatever we're going to refer to the people who are saying trust the experts, trust the experts always. They're not going to listen to military experts about when and where we should go to war. Like their job is to know the threats in the world, be prepared for them and be ready at all times to attack. Do we want the generals making our military decisions? That's why we have a civilian commander in chief. Anyway, go ahead. Yeah, no, it's just a basic point about experts and reference materials in general. Every study has a counter study. Every any 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 uh, uh, proclamation by an expert has another expert that says the opposite thing. Okay, Mm -hmm. you can't base an argument or projection based on that. And I mean, it's just it's a it's one of them. It's I would maybe now this doesn't fall within the category of a fake news trick, but this is how things get misinterpreted. That anyone thinks that they can prove a point or that they've found truth. Based on what an expert said, it's like I've got people who say, "Well, this the, what does the study show?" It's like, well, if the study, sh- if a new study mm. shows something that contradicts 
a body of, of knowledge that's been built up over 200 years, then you don't just ignore the body of knowledge that's been built up over 200 right. years. You have to compare the two. Right. And, and keep building because, yeah, you want one or two or three or four studies so you can start saying, okay, here's a pattern. This is this is developing in a clear way. The other problem now with the whole theorist and expert class that I've been talking about is that we have a situation where we have access to so much information like just through Google, anything you want to know in the world, you can search it in 30 seconds in from the device in your pocket. And, sure. you know, you can get a study from this or that expert. It's good when people even go that far to get an expert opinion on it. But after that, then we have, you know, the idea of whether, whether or not that expert is legitimately an expert, what their reputation is like, what their history for predicting future behavior is going to be like, and then whether or not their theories are grounded in reality. And people will not look that far back on Google. What they will do is, is because they read an article or two articles, they feel like whatever they found expert opinion wise that supports their point of view, they are now enough of an expert to refute the other experts point of view. And that is utter insanity. Yeah, it's nuts. It's nuts. And with the, particularly with, uh, I, I think we've now, anyone who's semi-conscious knows now that you can't look to one source anymore. It's, it's become totally fragmented. Right. And, you know, you've got, you got to swim with the tide. Fragmented in, uh, media and information marketplace and landscape, you've got to take a fragmented approach. You can't look to one source. You've got mm -hmm. to look to multiple sources. Okay. You know, that, that's those, your, your behavior and the atmosphere has to has to align and uh and to to do so to to not be looking at things from multiple angles and understand that you know that you're not even looking at two and that's why i hate people using uh, uh i hate people using the trope of left left versus right like, yeah. that doesn't exist anymore. no that's right that yeah you're right you're right um i think we got into that a little bit last time let's take a For quick sure. break and then we'll come right back and we'll talk about hydroxychloroquine sounds good okay cool whether you're a total newbie to podcasting or even if you've had a show before like me, you know how intimidating it can be to start your show. The tech side especially can be daunting. That's why I'm so grateful Anchor exists. If you haven't heard about Anchor, it's the easiest way to make a podcast. They knock down all the barriers to entry. Let me explain. First off, it's free. I don't know how or why, but I'm happy about it. The platform's great. There are creation tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or computer. Anchor will distribute your podcast for you so it can be heard on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and many more. I can't even begin to describe how much easier it was to get my show on all the major platforms this time than it was a few years ago. You can make money from your podcast with no minimum listenership. That's right. You build your show, you make money. It's everything you need to make a podcast in one place, and the company is committed to the success of its content creators. Go download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. All right. So one of the most heated arguments online and among people, including some of my friends, um, has been the effectiveness or not of hydroxychloroquine, um, the medication that has been propagated by the president i don't know it's um, been uh yeah it's been promoted i think is a fine word yeah, promoted is fine i mean but i you know he was promoting it as a possible way to help people and 
the president is a careless speaker. There's no question about that. But all that really matters is whether or not hydroxychloroquine does help people. Now, there have been a number yeah. of studies that suggest that it alleviates symptoms. And it's my understanding that the severity of the symptoms is often what causes people to die. When their symptoms deteriorate, there are certain steps that medical providers can take to help them. But if those steps don't work, then those people perish. Um, let's talk about the one that came out yesterday, though, because all of the headlines were... Uh, you actually have one of those in front of you, right? Do you still have yeah. that there? Yeah, go ahead. Um, okay, so a, a study was conducted uh, at, uh, amongst um, a, a variety of veterans' hospitals around America uh, on the impact of hydroxychloroquine. And it has been framed and was being spread around the Internet in the following manner. Here's the tweet. This is from the... Uh, Associated Press Health and Science, a, ma a malaria drug touted by President Donald Trump for treating the new coronavirus showed no benefit in a large study at VA hospitals. Yep. Okay, large study. It was 365 people. Okay, you tell me, given the gravity of this scenario, do you believe that's large? Yeah. Is that it? Do you believe large is a, is a justifiable, is, a, um, is an honest way to frame that, particularly when the median age of the individual, first of all, all of these were veterans, yep. median age above 65 years old, one of the conditions and one of the features around the hydroxychloroquine conversation is that it works with, I believe that zinc, it, it, it's mm -hmm. uh, coupled with zinc because zinc apparently opens up some pathway that allows the hydroxychloroquine in. Mm -hmm. No zinc used in, the, in, in this study, one. And two, the other piece around hydroxychloroquine is that it's admitted and acknowledged, at least from the people, the people supporting it and promoting it, is that it's far more effective when taken early. Mm -hmm. That it, um, that yes, once the coronavirus has really penetrated, uh, has really done its damage to you, and your you know lungs are filled up with fucking fluid, hydroxychloroquine is not a huge help at that point. But yeah. earlier in the process, what it does is, and, and this is what what the the narrative the narrative is, is that it. Uh, it 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 activates your immune system heavily. It gets your immune system going in an aggressive manner that then acts upon the virus before the the virus has spread widely within your body. Okay, now listen. I'm no I'm not a chemist. I'm not a doctor, but common sense that seems to be, and from other medical professionals who've been able to explain this to me in somewhat layman's terms, that makes a lot of sense. So if you're sitting there and you're trying and you're trying to take a study of 365 people that are all uh, U.S. military veterans, all elderly, you don't use zinc and you don't, you apply, you apply the hydroxychloroquine late in the process, and you do not control for the fact that maybe these were people who had already developed a viral load that made it almost impossible for them for uh, any medication or any treatment to reverse the virus. Do you then start? Um, do you then start spouting this off as its gospel, as if we have reached a conclusion and a firm firm determination of the usefulness and the utility of hydroxychloroquine on this virus? What type of responsible person does that? A responsible person does not do that, no. but the media did. Yeah. It, and and our peers do and uh, ridiculous. I, I don't I don't see um, what the point is other than to try to hurt Donald Trump with that claim, which is fine. I mean, Donald Trump deserves to be hurt in <laughs> different ways. You know, not physically. Fair but, enough. But his reputation can can take its shots because it de you know deserves them on a lot of levels. <laughs> but all that matters is whether or not this is helping people. And it's funny to me that uh, anecdotal studies of 
it not working? We have people relying on anecdotes for certain things and then making sure that the studies are airtight for other things. And it's totally. like, it seems to me like you might be manipulating your opinion, manipulating which studies you're referring to, to, uh, you know, verify your opinion rather than the other way around. Totally. Well, it's just, Jesus Christ, you're wearing your agenda on your forehead. Yeah. If you're being, if you're speaking about it with, with that degree of certainty based on this, I, and, and you know, I'm in a little different position because I know a few people who, not just smart people, not just people who I can, I, I put in the category of like intelligent, but mm. the ultra, ultra, ultra smart people, like asymmetrically smart people, outliers sure. who, who have credibility, who are, who run biotech <laughs> companies. Um, have told me that they're believers in hydroxychloroquine. So, okay, I'm going to be, I'm going to have a bit of a prejudice in that regard. Sure. But that's a fairly justifiable pre prejudice, right. particularly when there's just, you can it just, there's holes like Swiss fucking cheese in the studies that contradict it. Um, you've got a guy at Nassim Taleb who has been validated in dozens upon dozens upon dozens of ways uh, throughout this entire Corona episode that he, you know, this is a, he's a, uh, he's a, a former, you know, hedge fund guy. And I think I actually, I believe he still runs a hedge fund and apparently it's up something like 4,000% in 2020 because he made so many bets correctly based on this situation. Yeah. Do you think maybe this is a guy who if, if he can prove that he also was doing rigorous study of of the medical treatments is maybe a guy to listen to a little bit, right. and he is doing once he is a heavy skeptic. Nassim Taleb is the last. Take the people who hear one tweet and then form a conclusion. Nassim Taleb is the polar opposite. That is a guy who is rigorously breaking down and dissecting everything before he comes to a conclusion, and he's been he's been rigorously breaking down hydroxychloroquine for a couple weeks and. It, a lot of what, once again, he hasn't reached an absolute conclusion, but a lot of what he's reached suggest, a lot of what he's, he's found and observed suggests that this is something that we need to pay attention to and may very well be in certain circumstances, perhaps coupled with zinc, a very, a, a very effective treatment. Okay. And not and a cure. I, not a cure. Not a cure. No, no. But no one has ever suggested that it was a cure. Not even Trump did. Yeah, exactly. Uh, Bloomberg the other day, I discussed this on the last episode, but Bloomberg ran an article where the headline was saying that there was no effectiveness to hydroxychloroquine. And this is one of the articles that friends sent to me like, look at this. Like I told you. And I'm like, wait a second. Oh, that article God. doesn't even say it. The first article misstates the claim about how it's not a cure. Like no one said it was a cure. That's a total straw man. And then five articles in or five paragraphs in the article supported the premise that it does help with symptoms and it said it literally explicitly mm. you know it's mm. not a cure fine no one said it is so i guess you can say that your headline is accurate but then the the article describes all the ways that the headline is refuted and mm -hmm. and all people are going to do is share the the headline with each other and believe exactly what they believed in the first place for sure. And all this leads me to the only conclusion this leads me to is that the uh, the current media architecture and fake news is even more damaging than I thought it was. Because if this is how people are thinking, if this is how people are making their arguments and, and coming constructing their arguments and coming to their conclusions and trying to determine truth in, in discourse with their friends, it's even worse than I thought. And that's scary. Yeah. I mean, well, that's where I'm at right now. And, you know, one of the main problems for me is that so much of the information that is relied on by quote unquote theorists is is 
not actionable information. And it's also unfalsifiable. So they tell you things that you can't use and that you can't test in the real world, but yet you're supposed to believe them because they have an expert who will also say it. That's mm-hmm. the wrong way to reason. Um, let's move on. Let's, uh, so no, I, without, without a, I mean, that it, it all plays back into a, the larger point that I think is to the, in, in, in separating the normies from people who have woken up and I hate to put it in those terms, but it's true. Um, uh, define people, that for a second. For okay. Me. So normies is someone who still thinks that CNN is a credible source because it's CNN. It's like the basic bitch of an information consumer. Exactly. Like, oh, well, well a doctor said it. Yeah. Oh, well, he went to Harvard. Exactly. Have you not, has it not? It's just credentialism. Have, right? Credentialism. Credentialism and signaling that is just no, they, they've been blown up. They've been exposed yeah. for not not being good filters for information and truth. There are too many fucking people who went to Harvard that have been proven to be idiots. Does that mean everyone who went to Harvard's an idiot? No. There might be some incredibly smart people who went to Harvard right. and are worth uh, uh, listening to and noting as experts. But you have to go beyond knowing that they went to Harvard. You have to break down their ideas. And people don't do that. Didn't Trump go to like Penn and Morton or something? And yeah, and you know something, if you Where go watch go? any interview, like, he went to Warden and he yeah, fucking so is did every pre- Ivy League scholar now an expert. Do you want to say Trump's an expert, everybody? Exactly. You know? Exactly. Um, and just a last quick point on experts, and that's another fake news trick, is what they do in their tweets and in their headlines and in their other shareable digital. I'll be using the term a lot, shareable digitals. They stick a number by the word expert and then use that as as the basis for just about, oh, okay, well, experts say this. Well, what were the assumptions that the experts were working off of? Right. Okay, did the experts put any caveats on that? None of that can be communicated in a headline. So instead of being more careful and responsible with their headlines and with their tweets, they just use this to manipulate, and it pisses me off. When I see a study says... Every one of those articles has a link to the study, and I wonder how many people actually click through and read it. I know you do. I know I do, at least if it's something I'm I'm not saying I do it every time, but Jesus. Um, But that's where the information actually is, and I don't trust the news interpreter who's trying to communicate it to the masses to tell me what a study says that I can read myself. Unless that person themselves has the sort of expertise that makes them capable of interpreting studies. Um, so what do you th- speaking of like Harvard and, and credentialism and institutions and stuff like that, what do you think the future of, of colleges is and universities? Man, I mean, this is on my greatest hits album. I mean, this is a, this is a topic that I've, I've have been, has been high on my radar for a while now. I mean, I just think, I think colleges have been so exposed as just bloated, inefficient, uh, you know, just total wastes. They're bankrupting everyone. They're so expensive. They're not teaching anyone anything. They make no sense. They're there for kids to go and get. Listen, I'm no, I'm, I'm no angel. I like to go party. I sure. like to go drink. I had a blast in college. These, these places are now existing. Are the the sacrifice people are making and people's families are making. In order for them to go and get wasted and, you know, have have a good time and maybe learn a little bit that may or may not be relevant to any sort of, uh, of tangible skill afterwards, it's simply not there anymore, man. I'm simply, it's simply not there. What happened is 
Every, listen, sometimes the Republican, sometimes the right wingers fuck up, sometimes the left wingers fuck up. One place that it is no longer it is no longer disputed. You can no longer dispute this if you are in any way informed on the topic. Sure. One place where the the liberals fucked up was making was uh, was m- making college affordable for everyone. Because if there's no, <laughs> I'm sorry, it's just the truth. If you make an asset, if you decouple an asset. Uh, so, uh, the ability to pay for an asset from its cost, the cost is just going to keep on going up. Right. And that's what's happened with college. There's simply no way to ignore this. The cost of, uh, of university education or higher education has trounced and is by orders of magnitude outshone every, uh, the increase of every other product on earth, including medical care over the past 25 years. Okay. It's just gone beyond what is in any way justifiable. So, and, yeah, and the yeah. thing is, and you're, it, it, because there's no condition, if you wanted to uh, insure loans for anyone who wanted to go to college, and you also attach conditions on the college that they had to have certain efficiencies and limitations on what they can charge, then we're talking. Right. Then we're, we're right. somewhere where we can be feasible. But what happened is, and I'll get to my personal experience about this in a moment, as being a you know a, an obnoxiously overeducated person who, as a as a, a youth, bought into this and bought it hook, line, and sinker, sure, and started regretting it early. Um, what happened here is. The government said everyone can pay for college now. Everyone, if you can't, if you can't get the scholarship, if you don't have the money, you're going to get the loans, etc. Yep. We're going to provide those loans. The colleges just kept on layering shit on. They mm-hmm. kept on layering on. Ooh, uh, we're going to pay our professors more. We're going to pay our administrators more. We're going to add more administrators. We're going to add more classes to be more that are bullshit to go appeal to more kids because we want that money. The more students, the more appealing we are. If we do some like, you know, I'm all for a history of the Simpsons, like interpreted pop culture class. I'm sorry. It has no relevancy and it should not be. You should, people should not be paying $37,000 a year for their kids to go take philosophy of the Simpsons. Well, you know what? So if, if the family has that money and everyone's fine with that, I have no problem with people studying that thing and maybe they can bring interesting insights into our world. I'm, I have no problem with that if people can pay for it. I don't think that anybody who's there on, on grants and loans should be taking Chris, superfluous classes and majors. I, I'm not, I'm not going to even say that. Even okay. the people who should pay, they're paying way too much. It's not justifiable. Oh, that, I, that I totally agree with. Right? And I think there's two other reasons for that too. The first of which is entirely narrative based and that's the, uh, the inflation of the importance of the college degree. Yeah. So yeah. if we tell the story to everyone that you have to have college to get a good job, that story was true in 1970. It's not true now. You know, and we have people who are emerging from the college system that aren't capable of of adding the sort of value and while at the same time we have people who are perfectly able to do certain jobs that don't have the degree so the fact that they have the degree is not making them any better necessarily to to do a certain job than someone who studied everything that they had also studied in college but hadn't gone to college. So the certificate becomes meaningless. And then the second way is that because the government backs these loans and that cost controls aren't placed on the colleges, it's basically like placing a middleman between you and the product, you know? And so it's the same way that insurance companies hide costs and this is 
ex- this is why these two things have expanded so much. It's because they don't actually show you the real cost of what you're buying. You know, when I go, when you go to the emergency room, you get a bandage put on your finger. It costs seven dollars for the bandage, which is already inflated beyond belief. But then they you know, charge you 600 bucks for the facility fee so that you can go use the emergency room in the first place. And they can justify those costs with the reasoning that, you know, they have to have the facilities open. Doctors have to be there around the clock. Yes, fine. You are taking advantage of a high value service. But then when the insurance company, what, what that's what the, the hospital charges the insurance company. People don't see that in their month, in their monthly premium. If people saw what the actual market value was for for what they were paying for health care, I think the discussion might be totally different. When you give someone the opportunity to say, hey, you can go to college, this is how it's going to be paid for. I mean, I know for myself, my parents are very responsive, responsible people. My dad is, grew up uh, in the 50s and 60s. He's the kind of guy that uh, went to college got a graduate degree and then spent the rest of his career in one job. And he was very good at that job. Uh, but that is no longer an expectation of how we anticipate American life to go. And I think that the idea that we need to go to college and do that is a little bit a, uh, a relic of a bygone era. Well, here, and here's another one. You're not quite correct that you, uh, you don't. You needed it back in 1970. You don't need it now. You need it more now because it's now more of a requirement. But the problem is, more people have it, thus the marginal value of it has decreased. Right. I'm right. I'm, I'm referring it's, more specifically to, uh, in to terms how of, getting the degree would guarantee you a place in the middle, upper middle class. Fair enough. That fair, yes. Not, that, okay. That part of it does yeah. not exist. So what you're yeah. talking about is the marginal value, sure. right? Because it's now so saturated, the 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 marginal value of a degree or going to a great school as opposed to a slightly less good school, it doesn't get you as much benefit. Right. And here's a really this is something someone said that was really interesting. The last 20 years in American society. The value of a college degree goes down every year. The cost goes up every year. Yeah. If the value of something goes down and the cost goes up, that's called a scam. It's also it's also a very good indicator that you should not be buying that thing. Yeah. Yeah. Or <laughs> or that or that whatever. Okay. Or that whatever the 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 mar, the marketplace is for that thing is just skewed. For instance, exactly. here's one that I always here's one that I always come back to. What the fuck are we making people go for four years for? Who cares? Where did we? Where did this thing? This where did God come down from the mountain? Moses, Moses come down from the mountain, and God told him a college degree needs to be four years. <laughs> yeah, Most people are fucking around. Yeah. If you wanted to make it, if you wanted to fast track a degree, right, and allow people to graduate in two and a half to three years, you're cutting fifty thousand fucking dollars off the degree. Yeah. You're solving a shitload of problems right there. What? What? As the what consumer, is, but not as the not as the institution. Not as the institution because you have people. I'm sorry, I don't you know want to feel like I'm picking on the diversity officers. There's like Michigan University of Michigan Ann Arbor has something like two million dollars in yeah. annual salaries for diversity officers. I'm sorry, that makes no sense. Let me ask you None. this: Maybe you have an insight as an attorney, but is that see? I often look at things like that as a uh, two million dollar insurance policy against liability for when people complain. What you could do that with two hundred thousand? Yeah, yeah, fine. 
but I, but I see that like the, I see those departments popping up in universities, and I think, oh, no, you're trying I, to protect yourself from public scorn. You, you, they don't. You're they're way out kicking their coverage. So, um, try this one on for size. I have been thinking the last few weeks, and you know, when I read articles about colleges or I'm listening to uh, various, you know podcasts, whatever, people talking about the, what the fallout of this is going to be and how that relates to schooling. What we have now is a situation where everyone is doing remote learning. If they are still participating in their college courses, they are doing so through um, portals like the one we're talking through right now. And they are finding, well, first of all, they're finding that that's less effective than the classroom learning, but that's for structural reasons that already were in place. Um, just based on the the difference between the process now and the process before. But it looks a whole lot like what they're doing is spending time on the computer looking at an instructional YouTube video. Like the separation between like there's no there's no reason why you can't. You know, I don't mean to use a controversial figure for the example, but he's a great one. Um, like Jordan Peterson has his lectures up online. You can watch them. You know, yeah. and that is a college professor giving you exactly what he was giving kids in his college courses. But now it's on YouTube. So you can actually learn everything that you would have learned in college. And unless you're in one of the uh, unless you're in like a hard science field or medical field or, or something that you actually need to have hands on learning for, there's no reason you can't learn the humanities for free at home. Yeah, no, of course not. And and this is another one. And, and the way that I like to term it is that we're still living with so many remnants of a pre-digital age that have just yep. grown, that are some weird Frankenstein hybrid of the digital and pre-digital age. And, you know, one of the silver linings, for better or for worse, not to make light of anyone's suffering, is that this situation is blowing that up. It's going to blow up two things. One, the, the higher education system and the inefficiencies there and office work. In that, I think there are yeah. definitely some people overstating the extent to which people are going to remain remote only, but a lot of companies are going to shift heavily to remote and a lot of office work is going to go away. I mean, FaceTime, the idea of, you, you know, you gotta, I mean, listen, a lot of the way, the re, a lot of the reason that my career played out the way that it did is because I was just not going to be a FaceTime person. It oh, just I wasn't going to happen. I don't use it right? ever. Yeah. You know, I mean, I, I theoretically that could have been, but I just, you know, wasn't going to happen, guys. And then, yes, education and kids being herded into these these environments and, and and aggregated in these classrooms when they can be when this can be conducted remotely digitally. Yeah. And uh, what we could we could speculate on the degree of this of what the fallout is going to be, but it's not going back to the way it was. No, it's just not. I agree. Um, so let's close with this. Uh, we are being constantly bombarded with misinformation, disinformation, and decent information that happens to be in conflict. So mm -hmm. how do you how do you navigate that? I mean, we talked a little bit last time about curating a good Twitter feed and stuff, but you sure. know, are there are there certain things that you look for in articles that will either be like, okay, I know I can trust this, or you know, oh, conversely, man. I know this is garbage, you know, so here, yeah. let's frame it this way. So a lot of people have been sending around that out of the shadows video, which is conspiracy catnip. Have you watched any of that? 
I haven't, but I've been. I started I, like ten minutes into it. it. Yeah, I was ten minutes in, and I was like, I cannot, no. I cannot. That's unfortunate this. to hear because I was hearing good things, and it seemed to be well. I, here, this is really interesting. Mm-hmm. How about something like this? By the way, it's 70 minutes long, so I can't totally judge it. I just started seeing those. I I started seeing red flags, and I was like, okay, that's enough. Fair enough. How about this? A dishonest Pete. I'm not saying it is dishonest, but let's Mm -hmm. just, and this could happen. Let's say a dishonest, a contaminated source, like out of the shadows, that happens to lead to the right conclusion, which is some of the normies being more skeptical, because that's what I'm seeing. Yeah, I think that that's that that's totally right. If we get to the right conclusion in the real world, then it doesn't necessarily matter how you got there. You can always have faith in it a little more if you got to it the right way, you know, like you're saying. But there's, I see a potential here for, uh, you know, if it if it's proven that the media potentially fear mongered us into this position, if this position proves to be unjustified, where I think. People like us, at least, are all pretty much in agreement that Donald Trump is a wrecking ball to the media. Um, Sure. And all his flaws aside, someone needed to do it. And if it's him, if it works out okay, if the levels of disinformation and misinformation were constantly um, fed, if that stuff is diminished by the public losing faith and mass of the corporate media and we begin to return to responsible journalists who are finding things out on their own that mm-hmm. that seems like a really positive development from his presidency regardless of uh again all his obvious flaws sure and and that's one that's uh, as i always go back to is just the mindfuck of the many mindfucks of modern society and that's one of them and um and I, you know you can definitely equate it to, to out of the shadows if if it turns i'll check it out i'm gonna check it out but if that turns out to be kind of a you know michael morish manipulative freaking bs it seemed actually a little worse than that to me i mean it was 10 minutes i was 10 minutes in and they started going into like hollywood pedophile rings and stuff and i was like oh come on um i mean that's another piece of the mindfuck is that some people who are super shrewd and correct on a few things also happen to be tiptoeing it happened to be getting mission creep you gotta you have to account a little bit for mission creep right Uh sometimes the skeptics who are accurately uh, uh, accurately exposing the media for what they're doing improperly are do get mission creep into some weird conspiracy stuff. Right. So I'm not going to write them off for that. I'm not writing them off. I just think that they are not using a, a high enough bar of the evidence that they are processing. Mm-hmm. You know, when there's something, when, when I'm being told that we need to get you know, that coronavirus is a smoke screen so that we can rescue the mole children from tunnels. Yeah. You know, you got like two or 3,000 things you got to prove to me first to get there. Totally. Um, all right, buddy. So let's wrap this one up and uh, maybe we'll circle back in a couple of weeks. Um, stay uh, safe and healthy out there. And I can't wait till we get some more info to argue about. 100%. I'm looking forward to it. All right, brother. I'll talk to you soon. For sure. If you like the show, please share it with your friends and give it a five-star rating on iTunes or wherever you listen to podcasts so new listeners can take your word for it. You can follow the show on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter at I'm Your Moderator. 
If you have feedback, you can email heymoderator at imyourmoderator.com or use the hashtag heymoderator on Twitter. If you'd like to support the show, search Be Reasonable on Patreon, where I'll have additional daily-ish segments in a special podcast feed of the show, as well as my writing and audio readings of those articles. You can also go to anchor.fm slash be reasonable and become a supporter there. Thank you so much for listening. Until next time, I'm your moderator, Chris Paul. Be reasonable. Acting as moderator for tonight's broadcast.